0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Petite de Queen's Claim Your Career Crown podcast. I'm your host, Lynn, and today I'm joined by our wonderful guest, Gene Rice. And we are going to be talking about how to live a more purpose filled life, both personally and professionally. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Gene. He is the co founder and chairman of Rice Cohen International. He is a recognized, nationally recognized executive recruiter a keynote speaker and executive coach. Jean was rec- recognized by recruiter.com as one of the 100 most influential people in the history of recruiting and has helped thousands of people capture their dream jobs. And, you know, it doesn't end there. Before becoming an entrepreneur, uh, Jean owned rock and roll clubs in Long Island featuring all original music, He then worked his way up the corporate ladder for an international Fortune 100 company where he was promoted five times in seven years and earned the title executive of the year. When he moved on to recruiting, Gene was named managing partner of the the year seven times by the largest recruiting organization at the time, MRI International. Oh, my goodness. And there's still more. Gene is the co-founder of the Plant a Seed, Inspire a Dream Foundation, featured in People Magazine, which has helped over 700 undeserved youth pursue their passions. He brings his desire to help others into everything he does. Gene's first book, Grad to Grown Up, is one of the ways he wishes to help others live a more purpose-filled life. All of Gene's proceeds, from the book, will be donated to the Plant a Seed Foundation. And outside of the office, I mean, what else does he do? Well, Gene lives an enriched life with his wife of 38 years, four children, and four grandchildren. He prides himself on maintaining both physical and mental health and positively impacting his community. Gene is passionate about helping young people find this same happiness, both personally and professionally. So you can visit uh, gradtogrownup.com for more information. And then we're going to get right into this. Gene, welcome to the show.
1: Lynn, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I, I, I love the introduction. <laughs> thank you.
0: <laughs> well, I you're so welcome. It. And I am just thrilled that you're here. And for anyone who's joining us for that very first time, um, you know what? Don't miss out on a single episode of Claim Your Career Crown by subscribing to our podcast wherever you get your shows. And while we're there, if you love what we're doing and you love the episode, please take that extra second and give us a five-star review. We would very much appreciate it. So, Gene, I I know a lot because you and I have already met and talked, but what... For our audience, can you share what inspired you to get started helping young people find happiness both personally and professionally?
1: It was something, Lynn, that I've always been drawn to, you know, and, and, and the mission and, and, and the goal of writing this book, Grad to Grown Up, is it's basically, it's a roadmap to help young adults create a life, both a professional life and a personal life that they can be proud of. There's stuff in this book for everyone, meaning there's five sections, but a lot of it, my inspiration came from two things. Number one, it came from my own life and all the mistakes I made, Lynn, that that I learned from that might be worth sharing, and it also came from all the young adults I've had the opportunity to work with, both in corporate America, in my own company. I told you every single summer, we bring in four college interns. A lot of their questions, you know, started off with me spending a couple hours with them every week sharing Gene's life lessons, things I wish I knew going into my senior year. And what came out of it was all of these questions, you know, can you talk about this? Can you talk about this? And then realizing how ill prepared a lot of them were to start not only their professional lives, but their personal lives. So the mission of this is to is to share things that might help people avoid some of the bumps in the road. And, you know, working with my charity, we've helped over 700 kids. And a lot of them are coming from the inner cities, Lynn, where single parents, you know, the family is financially challenged that we're helping. They even need more direction because they haven't gotten a lot of the stuff that some of the college kids have gotten. So I'm hoping this book can help people. That's my only goal, to help people.
0: Well, that is that is just so commend-worthy. Thank you so much, and it's an amazing book. I've had the opportunity—I won't say I've read it cover to cover, but I've had the opportunity to really spend some time with it. And I concur; it's just the, the, those basic things that uh, that we all could uh, help avoid some cringeworthy mistakes and go in there with some better planning and better tools. So. I really am curious, um, when you were putting the book together, how did you decide on the format um, and the structure that you were going to take?
1: Well, I've always, this was the book I had in my mind, Lynn, meaning I had recorded every chapter, right? Matter of fact, we had 100 chapters and the publisher cut it down to 68. They said we can't, the the book would be too big. Uh, So I had recorded all the chapters on things I thought that was worth sharing. My daughter, who wrote the book with me, She's a high school English teacher and I'm an average writer. She's a phenomenal writer. So the two of us coming together and collaborating with it, you know, these were the sections I wanted to do. There's five sections. There's life, there's job search, there's career, there's personal finance, the things I've done to create wealth. And then there's health and relationships. All the publishers, when the agent was shopping the book, Lynn, every publisher wanted me to do the entire book on the career. Because that's where my last 30 years were. And I basically said to them, that's not the book I'm going to write because I've known from the executives that I've placed, you can't have true professional success without personal success. The executives that I place that are most valuable to their companies and also to their staff are the ones that, that wake up in the morning and there's greater purpose. right? They're not going to a job. They're going to something they love. And I I really felt that, uh, you know, I had to share that piece of it, you know, the personal stuff. And that was the hardest section for me to write, Lynn, because that's the personal stuff where I had to get really vulnerable. But I felt that it was important because I really do believe in life. One of the greatest goals that a human being should have is to find something that they sincerely love doing and then do it well enough that they can create a career doing that and earn an income because if people can find that purpose in their life, Lynn, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts. I know you have that purpose. I had that purpose in what I did. I never would have stayed in executive search for over 30 years, but I didn't feel I was was really, you know, waking up and doing something that was helping people, right, and helping companies. But if you can find that, you wake up in the morning and you don't go to a job, you don't go to work, you wake up in the morning going to something you love. In my own personal experiences, your personal health is better. Your yeah. personal relationships are better. The glass isn't half half full, it can be overflowing. And how much better is it to go through life that way? And what's sad is a lot of the young adults that I work with, a lot of them, Lynn, when you ask them, why, are you, uh, why do you wanna be a lawyer? Why are you going to medical school? Why do you wanna be an engineer? Why do you wanna be an accountant, right? somebody very influential in their life directed them in, in, in that direction because they, they could make a good income. Yeah. And I've seen so many of them go into that and absolutely hate it. Yeah. So one of the things I talk about in the book is the importance, the importance of doing internships, even if it's free internships, before you actually go in and, and, and commit to something. Get some experience in doing it. and You know, I, I don't know if I, I can tell you about my own daughter's experience, my son's experience. You know, uh, Courtney, who I wrote the book with, Lynn, she went to Lehigh University. She had a double major in economics and English at Lehigh. If your GPA at, at the end of four years was three point seven or above, they would pay for your advanced degree. They paid for her advanced degree. Now I used to play a lot I used to place a lot of the senior partners in the consulting companies. They would die for someone like that with 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 economics and English and that GPA from a good university. She thought she wanted to go to law school. And I and I had some experience. I mean, I had, you know, two family members, my, my son in law and my and, and my brother in law went to two of the best law schools in America, NYU and Boston College. And my son-in-law came out with six figures in college loan debt, right? They both went to work. They they graduated in the top 25%, went to work at big firms, and they absolutely hated it. And they hated it. And I said to Courtney, Courtney, before you do that, because I was going to have to chip in for law school then, so I said, before you do that, let's see if we can find, if you can find a small boutique law firm, let them know you're willing to work for free, and then maybe they'll bring you in and give you some exposure. So she reached out to a number of small, small firms. A local small firm said, yes, come in, you're working for free. He brought her into the office and he exposed her to everything involved with being a lawyer. The administrative piece, the research, he took her into the courtroom. Well, the good news is at the end of that summer, she must have added value because he ended up paying her at the end of the summer. He gave her $2,000, but she had no desire to be a lawyer. Her great desire was to be in the classroom, but she didn't think that was prestigious enough. And she's been in the high, she's a high school English teacher and had an opportunity a couple of months ago to go into Wawa in the town that she teaches in, and seeing the young kids come up to her that were working there and, and coming in as customers and respect they had for her, and the smile she had, she had purpose in her life, Lynn. And I want all young people to find that purpose, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that story because until you've walked that mile in those shoes, you really, you can have a completely false perception of what that is. And you could be focusing on one aspect that doesn't actually feed your soul in the sense of like, maybe you can earn a lot of money. Um, but, uh, right. going to law school. Uh, you can also work a heck
1: of a lot of hours.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, okay. a
1: lot of money, but they're working two and a half jobs when you look at how yeah. many hours they're putting in, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. But, you
1: know, and, and Lynn, the conference board came out with a survey recently. They took young adults between the age of 25 to 35. 52% of them said they had no job satisfaction in what they were doing. You fast forward to the people 55, there was still 48% of them that said they had no job satisfaction. To me, that's sad. That's yeah. very, very sad. And one of the things that the book does, grad to grown up, is a lot of the young adults don't know how to pursue that thing they're passionate about. You know, and and, and I want to tell if there's any parents and grandparents listening to this. I think our responsibility is to encourage those passions. Every great dream began with a dreamer, right? You can talk to them about a plan, B, a plan B, but encourage that. Encourage that. Now I take them through in the book. There's an actual chapter on you don't know, and I don't care what the passion is. The passion could be developing video games. It could be starting a landscaping business, right? But whatever that is, give it everything you can to try to pursue a career in it. So I walked them through exactly how to do that. I walk them through a process of how to reach out. Right. To get to make the contacts and make the connections, because a lot of them, they they probably would have pursued it a little bit more, but they had no idea on how to do it. Lynn.
0: Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just having that type of a roadmap is is so important. And then finding that I, I'm really curious that with the work that you've done for both yourself and with, um you know, the. The young interns that you've worked with um, what what do you think is sort of is one of those things that holds that held you back from maybe writing the book or finishing it? I mean I know you mentioned the publishers, yeah. but then yeah. what also holds once you've had that accomplished, what do you see is holding young people back from really taking this to heart?
1: yeah, Lynn I'm gonna tell you I think I think what ends up happening, and my wife and I might have been guilty of this a little bit this generation a lot of helicopter parents where we don't allow our children to experience failure, right? They look at, I I don't want their first failure to be in their first job, right? I know myself, right? They have to look at failure with a different set of eyes. If they can look at failure as an opportunity to learn and pursue it again with, with, with more information, Right now, they got to take accountability for it. What could I have done different? What could I have learned from this? But in my own life, you know, you mentioned uh, my career started. I was going to St. John's University back in New York. And the greatest part time job back then, Lynn, was to work in a club. Right. Be a bartender in a club. So I get a job in this club. Right. It's a small club. It has like one and two piece acts. And the club expands, and I become the manager, and now we have bigger bands. Then it expands three more times. I'm hiring all the music. We have live music seven nights a week. We're bringing in the national recording acts. All the young artists are coming to our club because we had a unique idea. We're the only club on Long Island, booking only original bands. We had our own sound system, our own Light Man. They just had to bring their instruments in. The club, they were doing the biggest radio station, was doing live broadcasts. I was brought in as an equal owner my two my two partners kind of retired you know and I was running the whole club and I was making more money back then than my father was as a steam fitter supporting a family of 8 oh. and but I was young I was cocky I thought who the heck I was I had never experienced failure and my older partner and I you know, the older partner would come in the morning and take the money and bring it to the bank. But he always had an opinion on everything. And finally, we, we just were not getting along. And I said, you know, I can't be your partner. You're Pennywise and Dollar Foolish. Either you leave or I'm leaving. And he goes, well, I'm not going anywhere. He was supporting a family. You know, I ended up walking out. Now, back in those days, I had no place to go. I had a contract that said I couldn't open up within 10 miles of them and it took a year to get a liquor license. I finally found the place, right? Now, in the first place, we were in a small incorporated village which had its own police department. There was 22 policemen on on the police force. We sponsored their softball team. They had their Christmas party in my club and they really protected the club, right? They made sure that everything was good. The second club, I bought an old man's bar where people would drink in the afternoon, but it was connected to a catering hall, but it had a live cabaret license, which meant you were allowed to have live music. It was in an upper middle class Long Island town. And I broke the wall down to the catering hall and I opened up with a punk rock band and the neighbors went absolutely nuts. Every time the band would play, the police were there. They would tell me if I if I get a second call and come back, we have to give you a noise violation. We were advertising the bands. We were paying the bands. We had to give the cover back. And it got so bad that I had to borrow money from my at that time fiance to be able to pay the light bill to keep the place open. And it was the greatest at that time, the greatest the first failure. It was the greatest failure in my life but it took that failure. What happened from that failure Lynn is I never took success for granted again. When I found success, I embraced it. I learned from it. I understood the mistakes I had made. And I'll tell you, you don't know why things happen. If that club had stayed successful, I think I'd still be in the business. I know I'd be divorced. I wouldn't have married my wife, right? And my life changed as a result of that failure, but it took me looking inside and saying, "I, I was responsible for a lot of it." right? I was responsible. Yeah. I think a lot of young people, to answer your original question, I think they don't the resilience is not there. They look at yeah. failure. Failure can really impact them, negatively. Yeah. And I think it's important that failure is embraced and looked upon responsibility taken, but use it with a new set of eyes so you can move forward. It's yeah. one of the things we talk about. It's one of the chapters in the book, Gradually yeah.
0: Now, I've always, I resilience is one of my top power skills. Uh, uh, some people call them soft skills. I call them power skills. But when you have that resilience, that ability uh, to take a really fresh look at everything and recognize what you learned from the experience and how much you gained from it there actually is this abundance and the the darkest tunnel can lead you to a better place um and it's it's that's the choice you you get to make that choice to find the glimmer of light in that dark tunnel uh and uh and follow it yeah so Uh. I really like that and i agree with you that it's important that people recognize that you know you know we have to make mistakes to be able to grow and the most important thing is to recognize and to acknowledge that okay well that didn't work out does that mean that you're some kind of horrible or bad person no doesn't mean that every single thing you touch is going to be a a failure or bad right it just means that this was an opportunity that you have to look at it that way. And where, what did you gain from that? Because there is always something that you gained from it so that you can then propel yourself forward.
1: And, and Lynn, you can- I, you know, I'm mentoring this young person and uh, very smart, very bright, great career, but every two years he's moving, he's moving jobs. And there's always the company's fault. It's always his boss's fault. And so the last time it happened, you know, I, I said, listen, it's okay. And I'm sure they, they definitely contributed to it, but I don't want to talk to you without you first listening for me, the things that you would do differently if you joined this company. I, I, I want to know, I want you to be introspective. You can't move forward unless you identify those things. Right. And you know, he, he did it kind of, you know, begrudgingly and he called me again he's leaving again and i'm like listen this time i hope we're not even going to meet without you first sending me i know the company i'm sure they were partly responsible but this is this this is going on and you need to really be able to share with me but more importantly yourself where did you where did you mess up What did you miss in the interviewing process? Why was this such a bad culture fit? What did you, you know, you got to take responsibility or else this is going to happen every two years. Yeah. And, you know, and it's important. Sometimes you have to have some tough love, but it's the only way they're going to grow.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's one thing that I really respect that when you're talking about that and bringing that to the table of, that introspection is truly powerful, and even if uh, your initial response is, "Well, no, no, there wasn't anything," but setting that seed so that you can truly embrace that and look at it from a perspective, "Well, I maybe I could have done this differently. Maybe I was, right. you know," and it's uh, it's such a powerful exercise for your yourself because there is always two sides to a story.
1: Right. Right. And you need to be able to see that
0: other side so that it can help you do better the next time.
1: And I know your audience, there's a lot of sales professionals. And you know, I came up through sales, right? So I left corporate America. I was with a division of Alcatel, Freedon Alcatel, that was number two, competed with Pitney Bowes, who had 98% of the marketplace. They had better service. They were less expensive. So in sales, you get used to failure and rejection. And, you know, it becomes a numbers game, right? And, you know, it's just being able to learn the skills necessary to move forward and to build the relationships and to be able to qualify effectively. You know, at the end of Alcatel, I was running East Coast. We probably had 150 to 175 sales reps that reported to me, Lynn, either directly or indirectly through other managers, you know. So uh, that's one of the things sales professionals learn pretty quickly, uh, know no knowing rejection is 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 part of the learning curve right
0: (laughs) yeah yeah but i i I think i would take exception to that sales is a numbers game i think sales is a human relationship game and it's also knowing that when you have a passion for your product or service and you have a passion to be of service and to help others you're not actually selling them anything you're guiding them to a decision and then you are a partner in the solution and so that for me, I love sales. I'm very passionate about sales because of the, it gives me that ability to help and serve others. And and to your point, it's not rocket science. But if I can take something off someone's plate that they don't have to think about again, they just know it's handled. And that if something does come up, I'm only going to come with solutions for them, and I've already thought through. best case scenario the worst case and what the most likely scenario and i'll have my my advice um that i make it easy for them once again to guide them to yeah that's that's the best way to go
1: and Lynn, you're absolutely right and that's the only way anyone should really be a professional sales professional but when i say a numbers game you know the one thing is you're not going to close every customer oh no no you don't want to
0: sometimes they're not a good fit
1: Yeah. So like why in, would
0: you want to close them?
1: And in the executive search, like I would always train my, my staff, what we did, there was a big human resource component to it. But I would tell them it's a two-sided sale. You can get the company, the client, to want to hire this executive. But if the executive says no, the whole thing falls apart. So how do you, how do you build trust and how do you build relationships and how do you put the match together so they stay? And we developed certain ways on how we did that, right? And I don't, it might be helpful then. Like one of the things that Rice Cohen developed is I always, you talk about this. Cause I listen to your podcast. I always would put myself, and I put, my, I told my staff, you got to put yourself in the candidate shoes. If you can't look in the mirror and say, I would take this job because, right? And list them off, then you you should not ask anyone else to take it. So what we came up with is when we interviewed a candidate, even before we told them, this is retained search, we're working exclusively. No one else, we interviewed internal candidates, external candidates and put the five best in front of them. But when we're interviewing a candidate, we start off by saying, you know, asking questions like, you know, in your career, in your professional career, tell me, when have you been the happiest professionally and what was going on? that made you feel that way. So we're recording all that. And then we go on to the next part. In your current role, what do you like best about it? In your current role, if you were the CEO, what would you change about your role in the company? Then we follow up and we'd say to them, if I was to give you a magic wand, Lynn, and you could create the ideal next job for Lynn, What would you create for yourself? Tell me about what you'd be doing within the company. What you know, what would the company be doing? What would the culture be like? And that would give us a snapshot. Is does that match with what our client is looking for? Okay. if it matches, then a lot of times we're saying, listen, I love you have a great background. This is not right because. But, you know, if something does come up, we will contact you. But then if we tell them about the company, even before they interview Lynn, we're gonna ask them a question. We're gonna say, what was it about what we shared with you that has your interest peaked to the point where you went through a pretty in-depth interview with us, but now you wanna interview with our client? We call this our reasons why. And then we're recording all that. After every interview, did those reasons hold true? Did any new reasons surface, right? we may volunteer something to them down the road. We say, listen, do you know the company has a 50 cents on a dollar 401k match? Your company doesn't have a match. But at the end of it, if there's not 13 or 14 reasons, and we give this to them before the final interview, and they can't be money driven. Money can be one of the 13 or 14, but if it's the only thing, then it, yeah, it's not, not a good fit. Yeah.
0: Because
1: as soon as someone comes along and offers them more money, now, during that process, what questions do you still need to get addressed in order to have the information you and your family need to make the best decision for you? But that's how we build a trust and that's how we can feel comfortable that the client and the executive, they there's a match here on both sides because of the reasons both of them are bringing them together. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that higher purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. And I that I do I call that sort of the, the client why, you know, you've got to be thinking in that sense, you're talking to both sides of the table. Absolutely right. Uh, so that that um, you can come together, and it's a really good match. So, um, you know, when I, I think that one of the things in your book, uh, and how you were talking about that, um, with with young people here and they're listening to us talk through this whole piece about, um, sales and, and, you know, finding that match. What are some of the things, what that they could do besides getting the book and reading it that they should do first when they start to think about this. And especially if they're looking at, um, maybe getting their first job or maybe they're thinking about changing jobs.
1: Yeah. Here's a couple of things. Okay. Uh, The first thing is, like like I mentioned, pursue your passions and I can walk through how how they can do it. You know, I I can talk a little bit about that, but I would I would suggest to them to try to arrange as many interviews as they can. Do you know why? The more interviews they have, it becomes clearer to them, Lynn, what they should do. Right. I always would encourage I don't want you to interview with one company and take the job. I want you to to have things that compare to, because the more conversations you have will lead you to what you should be doing next, right? The other thing that I talk about in the book, and this is a skill they're not learning. They're not learning coming out of school. The career centers are just doing it very generically. I want every young adult, or I want every person, because you'd be surprised how many CEOs that I've put on interviews that don't know this either. I want them to become, you know, in chess, it's called a grandmaster. In sports, it's called a Hall of Famer or an Olympian. In science, it might be a Nobel Prize winner. I want them to become a grandmaster of interviewing. Now, why is that so important? It's so important because when they find that job that they want, they're more than likely interviewing against four or five <laughs> other candidates. The grand master, the one who knows how to really handle an interview. Those are the candidates that get that get the jobs and the offers. And there's a whole process in the book. It takes them through what they should do before an interview. And then there's a five step process, a roadmap, step one through step five. If they follow it and they learn it. They are going to do extremely well, and if if they don't do extremely well, they're going to leave the interviewing process knowing why it's not a good fit. It also shows them that if they get the offer, now should they try to negotiate it? And it tells them when they should, and if they sh- and if they do, how to do it professionally. It yeah. then tells them how to resign professionally and how to deal with a counter offer, Right? It also in the book will go into you know grad to grown up there's four different types of recruiters and a lot of people that don't know, they lump them all together. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Each one of them serves a purpose, but you have to know what type of recruiting firm you're dealing with and the book will explain that to them. Right. And hopefully that answers the question. But, uh, uh, the five step process is one that's it's very impactful and can really help, especially the young adults.
0: Yeah. And I think it, it helps beyond the interview because, What's so brilliant about it is that you can apply this in so many other aspects of both your career and your life uh, because we also are interviewing for other aspects and in the, in the idea of, you know, maybe we're trying to get a new initiative going or our idea of how to uh, implement a project. And so it actually gives you the this baseline of skills that you can use in so many different ways.
1: Right. And here's the one thing I want to share with you, Lennon. and this is where a lot of the young adults maybe go astray a little bit. Right. OK. If they're considering taking a position with the company. The three things that I've identified and this goes for anyone in their career, the three things that make for a good match between a company and a candidate. The first thing is no matter no matter what role you, you know, that you're joining a firm around, you should feel that, you're, that you can make a contribution, that you can add value. And for a young person, sometimes they don't know, what, you know, but you should feel going in, I know what the role is, I know I can contribute here. Equally as important, more important for the young adult, a year after taking a, a position with a company, you should be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, as a result of me joining this firm, I've grown professionally in these ways. It can't be all one way. It can't be just you contributing without you growing professionally, okay? And the third thing, and this is where a lot of people go astray. The first two can be there, Lynn, but if number three is not, you shouldn't take the role. You should not only respect your boss your direct manager and the people you're going to be rubbing shoulders with but you should like them enough that if you had to go out and break bread with them it wouldn't be something that you would dread yeah. if you don't like your immediate manager right yeah you're going to be very unhappy very fast and i, I walked them through ways that they need to really get their arms around that right the young adult especially because that that that, that that new manager is going to be instrumental in, in coaching them and, and bringing them along in their career. So I really encourage them to look for those three things.
0: Yeah, no. And I can absolutely attest. It's true. If you do not like who you work with, oh. it's pretty hard to stay there. So
1: you're going to be unhappy, you know, very quickly. Yes,
0: yes <laughs> you know? absolutely. absolutely.
1: And, and one of the things in the book I talk about, because, you know, some of these really bright young adults that I'm dealing with, the interns, you know, they think they're just going to show up, right? And I talked them through, I talked them through on the career section, how they need to show up, right? I talk about the fact, right? There's, there's no elevator to success. They got to take the stairs, right? You know, they, I think Zig Zig, I think it was Zig Ziglar who said that, but you got to take the stairs. You got to show up and be ready to work. You yeah. also have to be able to understand what a good teammate is, right? If you're going to collaborate with people, how you need to interact with them, right? Uh, so we talk a little bit about that. We talk about you might you have to learn sometimes how to manage your manager, right? And what that means. You know, you have to understand what's most important to them and make sure you're giving them what's most important to them, you yeah. know? Yeah. You know? I have a friend Absolutely. of mine to this day. You know, he, he's a he's great at what he does. He's a great, great sales professional. You know what? But he hates doing expense reports. And the most important thing to his manager is getting the expense reports in on time. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What are you nuts? This is your this is the most important thing. Get that expense report. Yeah, it's yeah. Learning how to how manage, to manage your up. Manager.
0: Yeah, how to manage up, Yeah.
1: And then we talk about simple things, Lynn. Right? You know. You're gonna have you're gonna be dealing with people, you're gonna be dealing maybe with customers. Never never respond to a professional email if you're angry or emotional anyway for at least twenty-four to forty-eight hours. Yeah. I know early in my career, you know, I, I sent some I sent some emails that I probably shouldn't have sent. And know, just simple things like that, you know? Yeah. Take a take a deep breath, take a step back and think about it, talk to someone. We talk about the importance of developing mentors and relationships within the company, you know, and uh, and if anyone's out there doing an internship this summer, you know any of your young adults, you know, I talk about the things that they should get out of that internship, right you know sometimes they they don't know, and sometimes companies, big companies bring people in, and there's very little interaction, you know, and like I would tell my interns. First day, I said, listen, there's three things. When this eight-week internship is over, if you don't accomplish these three things, and you haven't gotten out of this internship what you should. Number one, you're doing an internship in an executive retained search firm. At the end of the eight weeks, you should be able to answer a question. Can I see myself doing this? And can I see myself enjoying doing this? If the answer is no, that's why you did the internship. If it's yes, we may have some interest in you. But make sure you get a feel for can I do this and can I be happy doing this? Okay. the second thing is we have a lot of people working here. There's some really great senior people. They're very, very busy. But if you reach out to them, they will spend time with you. They will go to lunch with you. At the end of this eight weeks, you should have multiple people here that are willing to be references for you when you interview for a job. You may even be able to develop a mentor here, someone who during your professional career, you can call on. okay? And then the third thing I would tell them, this is an executive search internship. After eight weeks, if you leave here, and if you're not a grandmaster in interviewing, you haven't gotten out of this internship what you could have. I want you to be able to get every job you interview for. And just giving them that direction and holding them accountable. So... You know, during the internship, we'd have them role play interviews and we'd film, it. you know, we teach them the five step process. Lynn, but then we, we would videotape it multiple times and say, listen, you can play a little bit of chess. You're a long way from being a grandmaster. Work on this, work on this, work on this. So I think any any young person going out and doing that, I encourage them to look for the same things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's brilliant, Jean. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing how to live a more purpose-filled life both personally and professionally. Um I know that our listeners are going to want to know more about where they can find out more about you, about your daughter, about the book, about what you're doing.
1: Yeah. yeah. LinkedIn, Jean Rice, Rice Cohen International, you can get me. I return all messages. The book, Grad to Grown Up, G R A D to grownup.com you can go there and download some free chapters there's a chapter on the kinds of questions you should ask in an interview win-win questions there's actually a chapter on if you have a 401k plan uh how important it is as a young adult to invest in that immediately and how to invest it and i give them a plan that's a fail safe plan that if they do it 30 years down the road when they're 52 years old, they'll be a multi, multi millionaire. So there's things that they can download if they want. But go to Grad to Grown Up. Reach out to me on Gene Rice at Rice Cone International at LinkedIn. And if I can help anyone, that's why I'm here. And uh, I really appreciate the time. Like I said, uh, I have a great deal of respect for you, Lynn. I listen to your podcast and the message and how you approach it. Is exactly the way I did so I I give you a lot of credit and the thing I'm it came through loud and clear you have purpose in what you do every day and that's one (laughs) of my goals in life so congratulations on that
0: well, thank you so much. And we'll be sure to include all those links below, along with a link to the Plant a Seed Foundation for anyone who wants to know more about Jean's work there. Um, and this has been such a great conversation, Jean. Thank you. And for everyone who joined us, um, if those of you who are tuning in, you have ideas or you'd like to leave us a comment, you can do that down below. We love to hear from you. You can also email us at join the conversation at Uh, You can ask questions or suggest topics for, for discussion. And of course, to stay current on all of our insightful advice, our breakthrough advantages, the incredible resources and wonderful, wonderful episodes like the one today with Jean, you can sign up for our weekly wisdoms newsletter at petite2queen.com and you won't miss out on a single thing. And I want to thank you everyone again for tuning in and listening. And Jean, thank you so much. I'm so glad that we were able to get together to do this.
1: Best to you. Best to your family, Lynn. Thank you.